This is the Remarkable Business Show on Remarkable.fm. I'm your host, John Moss, and this is episode 10. Cyclist, skier, international fugitive, and all-round curious guy, here's the latest edition of the Remarkable Business Show with your host, John Moss. Thanks for listening and welcome to episode 10. It's taken a while to reach double figures, but it's been a fun, challenging, and rewarding process. Thousands of you have downloaded and listened to the show all across the world, so a big thank you. First of all, you may know that I write a regular newsletter called The Bulletin. The subscribers are growing rather nicely and the open rate on the emails is just above 75%, so I'm guessing people quite like it. I'd be honoured if you'd sign up and give it a go, see what you think. I send it out every month or so, packed with links to great articles, experiences and tips on tech, business, health and life. So give it a go. Head on over to theappleofmyeye.com. That's the letter I at the end, slash newsletter. Don't waste a single day. Do great things with awesome people. Life is short. Make every day count. The Remarkable Business Podcast. As our friend Mr. Bueller said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. This is something I've been thinking about a lot recently and speaking to friends about. Do you ever get that feeling when you're on autopilot and time bends and kind of disappears? Yeah, you know what I mean. It's very easy, really easy to get through a day, a week, a month and even a year without much thought. You suddenly realise that the time has gone and you can't really account for it. What have you achieved? What have you experienced? How have you helped people? and you're not going to get that time back. Being mindful of how you spend your time is key to making sure you don't get sucked into this situation. Always remember, don't let good get in the way of great. Here in the UK, we've seen large chain stores closing all over the country, and they seem to be the ones who've been on autopilot too, and they're suddenly running into trouble. Not that the signs and symptoms weren't there though. And three that come to mind straight away are Debenhams, House of Fraser, and boots. Even these brand names sound tired. I'm not surprised in the slightest that they've struggled and will continue to struggle. They're anonymous and with no soul and no story. They create no curiosity whatsoever and don't provide anything worth talking about. They're trying to be everything to everyone. Even their marketing's old-fashioned. What would anyone possibly want to share about these businesses? Compare that to a business or a brand that tells a story has something worth sharing that people perk up and take notice of. Perhaps a B Corporation dedicated to doing good. I love these B Corporations. And for those of you who are wondering what I'm talking about, certified B Corporations are businesses that meet the highest standards of verified social and environmental performance, public transparency and legal accountability to balance profit and purpose. B Corporations are accelerating a global culture shift to redefine the success in business and build a more inclusive and sustainable economy. Now, not every brand or company might be an official B Corporation, but they might give back, like Warby Parker does with spectacles, Tom's does with shoes, probably the company people think most of when people discuss this, and there are many other examples like this. Like we choose what we put in our mouth three or four times a day, or maybe more often for me, we also make a choice about what brands we buy and what businesses get our hard-earned money. We all have a choice and we should choose wisely. I love ethical brands, but I also like companies doing one thing well. 
they're laser focused on what they do, whether a service or a product. They might wrap up this service in a special way or perhaps give you something so utterly unique you can only get it from them. A few brands I consistently admire for this are McNair Shirts, who make the best mountain shirt in the world over in Huddersfield. I've got one and it will last my lifetime and beyond. Plum and Ashby are another brand I've recently discovered. They make the most incredible hand wash and things like that. Yeah, I've been buying some presents for people who like nice things in their home. But seriously, they smell amazing. They're made down in Hampshire and are getting known through Instagram and via luxury brands such as Humphrey Munson Kitchens, which seem to feature them a lot. So check them out, plumandashby.co.uk. Really good. Bluffworks is also a favourite. They're over in the US and they make travel clothing. Their blazer is absolutely hands down the best bit of travel kit I own. Seriously, this thing is miraculous. You can chuck it in the wash, wash is super easy on 30 degrees, and you can travel in it, you can stuff it in your bag, you can wear it, creases just disappear. In fact, I don't think it actually does crease, but it's just a great bit of clothing. Highly recommended, bluffworks.com. And I'm really keen to hear about brands that you love, so please drop me a line. John, that's J-O-N at johnmoss.co.uk. Are you on Twitter? Then follow John at John Moss. Speaking of brands which tell a story, do one thing really well and are loved by many, this is a very good lead-in to this episode's guest. Rocket Espresso produces the finest espresso machines in the tradition of fatto e mano, translated to made by hand. Their small team of craftsmen produce both premium domestic and commercial espresso machines beautifully made with meticulous care and attention to detail. New Zealander Andrew Mayo is one of the founding partners of Milan-based espresso machine manufacturer Rocket Espresso. Self-employed since the age of 21, Andrew has developed a number of businesses, predominantly within both the hospitality and coffee industries, before purchasing a failing Italian espresso machine manufacturing business in 2007 and establishing Rocket Espresso. Driven by both the technical competence of the machine, combined with the machine aesthetic, yep, they've got to look good, Rocket Espresso is now a leading espresso machine manufacturer. When not at his desk, Andrew will undoubtedly be riding his bike, preparing for coming races or quite possibly enjoying an espresso and a slice of cake in the sun. We had a great conversation covering a wide range of topics. Andrew gives us a fascinating insight into scaling a global brand, as well as some wonderful stories. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. So here's Andrew talking to me from his Milan HQ. Accessible, authentic and useful. The Remarkable Business Show speaks to remarkable people. So I'm delighted to welcome the guest to this episode, and that is Andrew Mayo from Rocket Espresso, who is the founder of the company and someone I'm so pleased has um, managed to give up some time to come on today. So, Andrew, welcome to the Remarkable Business Show, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you, John. Pleasure to be there. Thanks. Whereabouts in the world are you? Can you give a little bit of an introduction to yourself, who you are, and and what you do? Okay. Um, Rocket Espresso. We're based in Milan, Italy, so uh, which is kind of the hub of espresso machine manufacturing in the Lombardia region. Um, we build obviously espresso machines. Primarily, we started twelve odd years ago when we bought a failed company, a failing company, 
and um, initially we bought the rights to buy uh, to produce what we call premium domestic machines um, the company was still in existence at the time and we just bought as i say the, the rights rights to buy the smaller machines right okay and was that an italian company though Yep, it was an Italian company called ECM, and uh, they'd been in the business for a while. I was based in New Zealand at the time and involved with a company that was the importer of the machines into New Zealand. At the time, supply got um, into New Zealand, was became quite spasmodic. The business partner I was working with at the time suggested that perhaps he felt that ECM was in financial trouble. So... He proposed that we you know, had a go at looking to see if we could buy it. So that was 2000 and probably 2007, I guess, I came over here and did what could loosely be described as some due diligence, but, you know, it was pretty pretty pathetic, to be honest, um, and had a look and, and made them an offer for that part of the business. And um, we then took, as I say, took the rights to build the premium domestic machines and ECM carried on producing commercial machines for another couple of years year and a half before they failed completely and so now what's the what's the rocket espresso range look like of machines and you do grinders as well don't you yeah um well probably 70 odd percent of our production is what as i say what we call premium domestic that means a machine that probably retails in euro for in excess of well close to 1500 euros is our start point and then it goes right through to about five and a half thousand euros so premium espresso machines premium domestic espresso machines at more traditional based machines they've got a, a porter filter as opposed to fully automatic machines or bean to cup machines so worldwide it's a very very small market but it's still quite a quite a good market you know globally there would be probably 50,000 machines made by all the manufacturers in that sector of the market obviously if you look at bean to cup machines or fully auto machines you know the the market's the market's massive and obviously people like Nespresso entering the market again has made the market huge Mm. but they're not really you can't you can't call those traditional premium domestic machines arguably they're not actually even espresso machines if you look at it technically but they make a drink called espresso so you know which is a good thing because there's more public awareness of espresso machines and then the other part of our business which is a newer part to the portfolio is commercial machines um, and obviously they're the machines for bars restaurants cafes etc which is um, as i say much smaller part of the business but probably where we're seeing the most growth nowadays because our domestic portfolio is pretty much tapped out you know being represented in most countries in the world nowadays do you think people they they learn about there is an opportunity and you know relatively easy to do to produce good coffee at home and that's where people then start investigating these kind of machines and and then perhaps find rocket i think what happens is i see our home users as being a couple of different categories one that just sees the machine likes the shiny machine thinks it looks really beautiful and needs to have it on his kitchen bench and then the other side is the guy who's a passionate coffee drinker okay um and he he wants to produce you know 
premium espresso at home. Now, where that's come from is probably two sets of people have come from. Probably one, people moving up from average product, you know, so starting with a very average machine and going, well, this is not really cutting it. Um, Or possibly seeing that there's great coffee available in their cafe and just getting a passion for it that way. Um, If we look at the the whole food, uh, food industry, you know, if you think back 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you went into a bookshop and there might have been a shelf of cookbooks and now you go into a bookshop and there's a whole section devoted to cooking. So yeah. clearly people are wanting to do a better job on, on all fronts within the home and I think naturally espresso falls into that. And it does help that they look wonderful as well, um, you know, from a design perspective. And has that been a chosen thing to to make sure that they look beautiful, the machines, as well as actually do a good job? Absolutely. So from the rocket point of view, obviously, we've got to make machines that are obviously very, very, very competent in, in what they can produce. But also we've got, I've got a very fixed idea of the look and feel of our machines and the look and feel of our brand. So we do a lot to really keep our machines, look, right across, if you look right across the board, most of the machines in the category are shiny stainless steel boxes. But when you start to look in, more, in, in the machines in more detail, there's bad stainless steel boxes and really beautiful stainless steel boxes. So we try to be the latter, where we spend a lot of time and effort and, to be honest, margin um, and producing a machine that, that is really lovely, that is, um, well, in my opinion, is really lovely, should qualify that. Um, and, yeah, and that I think that's an p- important part of the rocket brand philosophy so quite often people want different colors they want this they want that they want a custom they but we we're very uh, we stick very closely to our values and say well no we can't do that i guess it's you look at the porsche 911 as a classic example you know the porsche 911 has obviously evolved over the years but it's unmistakably a Porsche 911 or, or a variation of the 911 right through yes. the model ranges, you know, from I don't know how many years ago. With, um, so I think that's an, a tribute to great design where the design evolves. So it's kind of the same as that, I guess. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, um, you know, full disclosure, I have a Rocket um, <laughs> espresso machine in my kitchen right now alongside a Rocket grinder. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of very much of what you do. And I've been on my kind of coffee journey over the last few years. Thank you. And, I'm, I, and I think my, my love of coffee probably came from the ski seasons I did many years ago back in Italy and uh, where I was a barista. Okay. And, um, and uh, although it's changed, you know, markedly um, over the past 25 years, and uh, I'm sure back in the day, in the early 90s, there was no such thing as latte art. No, exactly. <laughs> not, not that's, not that's a, you know, just the be-all and end-all of coffee. But um, I, I think uh, I agree you've got a brand that stands out and is that something, is it design and functionality that makes you attract customers, do you think, that sort of brand, that values? I think if you've got a strong brand value and you, you've got clear direction, it, it, makes it, yeah, it makes any product better. When you look at a, a brand that doesn't really have a clear strategy, a clear direction, a clear product range, I think, I think it becomes, becomes very difficult to understand what that brand is so we spend a lot of time on making the machines look as good as we can we spend a lot of time on our packaging 
Um, we spend a lot of time on the look and feel of our marketing, websites, social media, etc. Also, the brand experience is as good as it can be for people. And I think that sets us apart from our competitors quite, quite markedly because many of our competitors build espresso machines. They market to their distributor or reseller base but that's not their customer. So we're one of the very few that go, hang on, that guy who owns a house in London, New York, whatever it is, he's our customer. He should be the focus of our attention. So the dealer or the distributor buy the product, thankfully, and and stock the product. But we don't really need to market to those people overly. We can market to them through through trade fairs, et cetera. But but we need to give the final customer a a real look and feel about the brand. Understood. And then you've got a very strong connection to the cycling, the worldwide cycling community, Andrew. How did that, how did that come about? Um, I've got a cycling background from when I was uh, a, a boy in New Zealand. So I've always been a passionate rider, racer. Um, we started, it, it was 2009, I think it was, the year Dennis Menchoff won the Giro d'Italia. That was actually the 100th year 100 years anniversary of the Giro and we were sitting around and we were, we'd only be we're only into the business two years at that stage we just suffered the um, financial crisis so that was a real tough start and I suggested right. we build a machine to celebrate 100 years of the Giro just sort of throwing an idea around and everyone thought it was a great idea anyway we produced this machine we engraved the 100 winners on the side panel as soon as um, Dennis Menchoff crossed the line and won the final, won the 100th edition. We put his name on. We put him in a box with a pink stripe around it and a copy of the Gazeta della Sport that summarised, that reviewed the, the, the Giro, uh, the final of the Giro, and shipped them out. They were all numbered 1 to 100. And they sold incredibly well. Possibly one of the things that really, um, really put us on the map, though, was at that time I was talking with Rafa and I gave Rafa a machine to give away as a prize and so that got us a great deal of exposure for a small brand. At the time Rafa were working with Sky and Wiggins and Cavendish were on the on the payroll in those days and they yep. took machines uh, they took machines at the, at the time which that led us to building a limited edition machine for Rafa um, which was t- limited to 200 pieces over a, probably a couple of years. And then it sort of started snowballing. We, we would get, I would get requests from other world tour riders, pro tour riders, um, uh, wanting to get a machine. So we started our, what I call tongue-in-cheek, our brand ambassador program, which is not quite as flash as the programs Rolex and IWC do, but nevertheless, it's a brand ambassador program. So we now work with probably a couple of hundred, possibly slightly more um, world tour riders, and wow. they they all buy their machines from us. Okay, we look after them, um, and... Within that, they're supposed to do a little bit of social media work for us, you know, from time to time, there's no, um, and send us a signed team jersey. So consequently, we've got quite a nice collection of signed team jerseys. Um, and that, that's worked really well because when, when we first started with this, they were, uh, it was a little bit, 
the coffee within the uh, within the world tour races was much less much less a part of what they do now a lot of team buses have got our machines a lot of riders have got our machines and the riders have become more and more into their coffee so some of them are you know can make fantastic coffee some of them are incredibly knowledgeable and now because of that they like to post just how good they are making coffee and you know um and so it's, it's sort of snowballed i guess so it was a good decision about uh, creating that original machine yeah well it was it was a bit of luck i guess really to be honest that uh, that's what things are like aren't they yeah absolutely oh that's fantastic and um it looks like a terrific community at your headquarters at rocket espresso hq certainly the stories that you put out online and on social media everything's put together by hand by passionate local people do, do you see that as a big part of the company culture and how, you know could you let us know a little bit about the culture within the business yeah um originally we started with two people in an office my business partner and i and outsourced production after about six months we started our own production and um, so we've grown from sort of one to two to now 50 odd um, in the space of 12 years um, we still got a really tight bunch of people primarily because some of those some of their first employees obviously well not obviously in in Italy they don't change jobs so they're still here with us and I think that makes it a lot easier to build a culture because those those it's a job for life philosophy really in Italy Um, and those people have evolved with us that's good and that's bad because some people probably haven't been able to keep up with where the business is going and and others have risen to the occasion so um but yeah i think we've got a reasonably good culture i always think you could have you know it's a it's a funny thing i'm i'm quite a i wouldn't say i'm a hard taskmaster but i'm quite exacting and i always think we could we could do we can do always do things better than we do but i think i think the you know the production we always have and looking for a new premises we have um, offices always on the same level through the door to production so many italian factories you'll have the offices upstairs and the production downstairs and that becomes that that creates that hierarchy between them and us and which i really don't like um and we can just walk through the back door of the showroom and into the into the factory so production sees management i guess um in there every day and i'm still not adverse to picking up a screwdriver or spanner and you know and changing something or doing something that uh, you know not so much in production anymore but if i have to take a machine to for instance a team the other day they had a problem with the machine down the gyro so i was there so i managed to you know go along take it apart fix it and put it back together and you know i still think that's an important part of the brand people look at you when you're the general manager and sort of wonder why you're driving a truck full of gear down to set a pop-up at, set up a pop-up at the gyro but you know at the time you wonder yourself but it's all part of the business it's all fun i don't think anybody should be above doing any anything that they're employing somebody else to do you know i think that's great it's very authentic is an overused word in terms of marketing but it's exactly what you're doing you know it's that authenticity that people love i'm sure that is great and over the past you know couple of years even or even the, you know the whole of the company what, what have been the biggest challenges andrew that you've faced and 
how did you overcome how did you overcome those challenges um, i think some of the biggest challenges have been growth managing managing growth because we've grown you know quickly and we've, we've always been able to keep on top of that that's a good thing but it led to the company becoming reactive rather than proactive which i don't really didn't really like and we're just sort of getting on top of that now um meaning we we reacted to things we fixed things as they came up rather than having a, a more of a long-term strategy so that i found frustrating um mm. the italian workforce Look, if there's any Italian uh, listeners, we're not trying to be <laughs> be um, be offensive here. But the Italian workforce is very different to the New Zealand workforce. The New Zealand workforce understands um, urgencies, understands deadlines, etc. Um, here in Italy, I find that incredibly frustrating that deadlines can come and go. You say something's urgent and it's it's taken care of in somebody's own time. It's just it's it's a way different philosophy there's also the fact which is a good side of italy than the fact that it's really traditional but in a bad yeah. side they're not so um uh susceptible to change so if we we've the you know we've all, we've been doing it like that for a hundred years is fantastic when it comes to cooking and comes to food culture but because we've been doing like that for 12 years or 15 years or 20 years in a factory it doesn't mean to say it's the right way to be doing it and there's yeah. there can be a resistance to that so you change something for the better and next minute you go why are we doing it the way we used to do it oh because that's the way we always did it but hang on we made changes here to make it better so sometimes you find i find find that very frustrating and do you find yourself with that having to show the upside of changing something and, and then do people once you've kind of given a bit of evidence or explanation to that do you find them more receptive to change uh yeah yes and no it depends depends what the issue is because sometimes it's the smallest thing it's not like you, you're trying to reinvent the wheel with these changes it's generally all the little things that Okay, they're not so important, but they make production better, production more efficient, the office better, the yeah. office more efficient. It's more, it's more things in that regard, to be honest with you. Sometimes I find you have to really drive people into making the change um, and for the better. But I'm, I'm sure that happens in every, you know, every business, and the bigger the business gets, the harder it is. And to my earlier point, when some people have grown with the business and some people perhaps haven't grown with the business. And that's the people that haven't grown with the business are those people that don't really understand why we need to make change. Yeah, I think that's a very, very fair point. What's, what are your um, biggest challenges right now in, tw in 2019? Is there anything, if I handed you over the remarkable business show magic <laughs> wand, what would, you, what would you do to change the business? Um, I don't think I'd change a great deal. I'd probably change the fact that I still feel that uh, we have to run sometimes. I guess what I would love to do is one day just stop for a week and just tidy up all the loose ends and and, right. and just I I'm I drive my wife nuts because I'm incredibly you know I guess I'm driven. Um, I I want everything to be done, and if I'm going to do it, I do it as well as I can do it. And I think to just to get people to understand that if they just follow all those things through right to the end, you know, and just tidy them away, and then we move on to the next thing. So, like any business that's grown so quickly, and and the bigger a business gets, I think there's 
in a way there becomes more inefficiencies, just tiny little inefficiencies, but I'm not very I'm not very good with those. So so in my view, what I would like to do as a brand is just be totally like a clean bicycle or something. You know, it, yes. it just it goes better once once everything's sorted out properly. Yes. So I think there's a, a balance there with businesses. I talk about optimization and discovery so part of the business you're optimizing you're tweaking you're kind of you know moving the dial slightly just to see if there's any efficiencies and then i love discovery in terms of trying new things out completely which could be quite radical and outside of you know what you've you know previously done is are you doing anything like that sort of that discovery phase at the moment or anything new um well we're really increasing the numbers in, in the office and back office because we've been understaffed in that area. So that's, you know, but it's not really discovering anything new, but I guess it's discovering our um, inefficiencies in that area and how we can be more efficient. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say we've got anything, no, nothing sort of springs to mind that I, I think is going to be groundbreaking coming, coming, out, coming out of the office, no, um, coming out of production. A couple of new products this year, the, um, the Faustino, is it? The smaller grinder? Yeah, the Faustino launches any day, um, which is a small, more of a price point grinder designed to be actually more of a match with, uh, say, the Apartamento machine. So a lot of people don't, really understand that they buy they go into a store to buy an espresso machine and then they the salesman says and you'll need a grinder of course and they sort of balk at the price of the grinder because our expensive part of the deal and if you've got a decent grinder it makes such so much better coffee yeah so the faustino's designed more as a entry level there um to get the the package price point down a little bit um, and then we've just released uh, the R91, which is our top domestic machine. That's got a sort of fully saturated group with a pressure profiling system. And that's being hailed in some markets by some people as probably the best machine, you know, in its category in the class um, yeah. worldwide, which is pretty big accolade for somebody like us that's been around 12 years and our majority of our competitors have been around for 90 or 100 so. Oh, that's amazing. And and, and, and uh, have I missed the home tester program, Andrew, for that, I, I, I'm guessing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's available at your local retailer for, uh, for, for the recommended retail price. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you had a piece of advice for someone or, you know, some founders, you know, some, he or she who is starting out in a business or perhaps, you know, a few years in um, to a business, what, what would it be? Have you got any advice that you've found useful? And that might be something that you've uh, discovered yourself or, you know, taken inspiration from from somebody else. Um, I'm full of good advice. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, I'll put, we'll stop this, this, you know, interview, this, this discussion, and I'll think of a hundred things. Um, I think people think it's going to be easier. I th think people don't, um, don't put enough care and attention to details. I'm not, I'm not saying this, you know, this is not right across the board, obviously, but I think you've got to have a clear vision of where you want, where you want to go and what you want to achieve and what you want to do. Um, and once you've got that, it makes it, makes it easier. Uh, I see people opening all, all manner of businesses and I sort of look at them and I go, well, hang on, what's, what's going to set your business apart 
from your competitors and it's often absolutely nothing they're both serving coffee they're both making sandwiches or um every now and again you come across somebody and, and it's you know there's some businesses and, and they've just got such a such a focus such a vision and you sort of you can you know immediately they're going to succeed and i think um a lot of people go into business for the wrong reasons um and i've been self-employed since i was 21 so um, if I had to present a CV, it would be full of nothing. I'd be laughed out of the office, you know, out of the interview. But um, and I think you've just, you've, yeah, you've got to have, you've got to have a focus and a, and a purpose, and you've got to work out what your point of difference is going to be. Yeah. Just opening a cafe on the high street's not enough these days. Yeah, I agree. What's the story? And uh, you know, the, the product's got to be there, hasn't it? Yeah, there's, you know, there's a high bar. For, for every product category oh, exactly. in the, the world, but you do need to stand out. You know, some. The, I'm a firm believer in the what, the car the car yard philosophy. Okay, so if you're going to buy, a, generally car yards are one after another down the same street, um, and especially in New Zealand, uh, that you you, know, you have Audi, you have BMW, Porsche, Mercedes, all bang 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 next door to each other. Now, th- that's perfect because. The person who wants to buy a car goes down there and they can choose the car they want to buy. They can also, and then you put that into add, add restaurants into the mix. Somebody opens a restaurant next door to you, which we were in that industry in New Zealand. That's actually a good thing because they'll either do the job better than you or you'll do it better than them. And whoever's the, the better business, so if people go down there, that restaurant's good and that restaurant's not good. Well, you know, that's competition. Competition is so important because either people rise above it and, and become the best competitor or they just let the competition run all over them and they're out of business. Yeah, keeps them honest. Yeah, exactly. And, imp- and gets, them, gets them to improve and if they don't improve... Um, yeah. Exactly, then that, because the customer gets the better product. So yeah. um, at the end of the day, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, I agree. And in, in terms of um, brands, products, or, or even a service, is there anything that's really impressed you lately and in terms of perhaps some of your travels um have you what what have you seen in terms of any company or a brand perhaps standing out and doing something exceptionally well is is anything that come to mind again we'll stop this and all and a bunch will come to mind um would you have a favorite brand or a company yourself that you feel engaged with and you know you're you're an maybe an ambassador of um if maybe not officially but you know some something that you love i like to think i probably buy products from people that i think are doing a good job so i'm not a very good shopper just going in and having to buy something by default so i i do like companies i think it depends i look at the fashion industry for instance and I, i look at their business model and i go man, that's a great business model because they own their own retail shops in most of the major cities. So whether it's Prada, Gucci, Armani, whatever, I'm not saying necessarily I like I like what they do, but I think they've got total control of their brand from you know designing, 
producing and then retailing. So the whole look and feel of what they're doing um, is is exactly the way they want it to be with a customer. So somebody like Rocket, we have a machine sitting in a dealer's on a dealer's shelf in the shop, but we don't really have any control over the feel of the brand other than the machine itself um, and maybe some point of sale. Whereas fashion, Apple, for instance, you walk into an Apple store, I was in one yesterday, and you know, you, you look around and you go, man, this is a great business model. You know, people going in there, the Apple store is exactly how they want the customer to see their brand, as opposed to going into an electronics store and buying it off the shelf there, where you you don't get the same level of service, the same product knowledge, or the same feel for the brand. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. People people have that sort of end to end experience, and you know that's where the the brands get very strong, don't they? Because people understand um, exactly what they're they're trying to do. Yeah, and and just but in terms of somebody doing great things, yeah. If you look at the cycle industry, I guess you look at uh, you look at the fact that the way the Italian bicycle industry, high-end bicycle industry, is perhaps lost a lot of ground. You know, certainly. Um, with a, you know, a componentry manufacturing like Campagnolo versus Shimano, you look mm-hmm. at the the bike brands, you know, some of the historic bike brands against the might of companies like Specialized and Trek and companies like that doing amazing, amazing things. Then, then conversely, you've got little companies like Speedwagon who I don't own their bikes, but you know they look beautiful. They look like yeah. they're doing a really great job. And and when you look at their bikes. Um, when you see what see the bikes, you you really get a sense if they know what they want to produce and and how they're going to produce it. And I think hats off to them for that sort of yeah. thing. They're confident in what they're doing and they love exactly. what they do. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. Fantastic. Well, Andrew, um, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I really appreciate. I know how busy you are, and you've just come back from the Giro and doing some uh, press and uh, marketing work there, which uh, sounds amazing. Um, if people want to know a little bit more about Rocket or indeed follow yourself, could you let us know where to find you online? Um, well, obviously, the Rocket Espresso website, you know, Rocket hyphenespresso.com is where you find all about us um, and me personally I guess I've got an Instagram account which is Andrew Rocket Espresso Mayo but uh, whether that's much interest to people I'm not sure yeah. I'm sure it will be yeah. brilliant and you've got a good um, uh, a good social media following as well on uh, especially on Instagram for the actual company as well haven't you that's yeah no it's, it's, it's pretty you know it's reasonably strong I, I would like to think it, we've got a good following of people who actually like and love the brand as opposed to you know um, as one person told I read not so long ago you can uh, be rich in Monopoly and you can be famous on Instagram and I thought it was very well put (laughs) that's a a great way to to end and thank you so much for your time again Andrew okay thanks John thank you bye bye The Remarkable Business Show I'm very grateful for Andrew spending time talking with me so you can benefit from his story and wisdom. He's also been very generous and given me two pairs of very smart Rocket Espresso cycling socks to give away. They're large in size and all you need to do is tweet about the episode with the link to the episode and also tweet at me, at John Moss, J-O-N-M-O-S-S. 
You'll be entered into the draw to win a pair and I'll pick two winners. Easy. So what are you waiting for? Go for it. This episode's quote comes from Hunter S. Thompson and refers to what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. And that is making sure you don't stay on autopilot. You become mindful of what you are doing and what you are planning on doing. Life is short and most people look back and think of the things they wish they did. Estimate how many years you have left, even months and days, and you soon realise we are not immortal. Hunter summed it up nicely. Life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, Wow! What a ride! So, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Don't waste your life. It's a precious thing. Right then, what's caught my eye? Did you know that there is a huge amount of evidence now highlighting that the indoor air we breathe, that's indoor, not outdoor, is actually in some cases way more toxic than that outdoor air? Now, I really didn't get this at all, but having researched it and read into it, it is damn right scary. A recent article by the New York Times has highlighted this when they wrote about an experiment monitoring air in a typical US home and looking at the effects of cleaning, cooking and preparing a big dinner. After preparing a big dinner, the VOCs or volatile organic compounds were so high the house would be labelled as officially polluted. Recent data from the UK shows that on average Britons are outside for just 5% of the day. One hour and 12 minutes. Ouch. Don't think it's just your homes that are unhealthy. It's likely to be where you work too. Offices can be awful. A small body of evidence suggests that when it comes to decision making, indoor air may matter more than we've realised. CO2, dust and also temperature and humidity can all play a part. Now, we've all been in those meetings when people start nodding off. Hey, it might be some of the content, but I've been in plenty of terrible meetings when I felt pretty lethargic. And it's now thought that these air factors are a big contributor to how you feel. And this is not limited to our homes and where we work. It's been shown that an increased amount of CO2 actually leads to children in school performing badly. Many studies have also shown that increasing the ventilation rate in schools can raise children's scores in tests and speed at tasks and reduce absences. So why have I mentioned all this? Well, I've been using a very clever bit of kit called Airwear. That's A-W-A-I-R. Airwear tracks invisible fine dust and chemicals in your air and gives you personalised recommendations to help you stay safe and healthy. Pretty neat. I bought this after seeing a lot of good reviews, including one from David Hanamir Hansen from Basecamp, who's a big fan of Airware. Airware connects to your Wi-Fi and also your phone via an app, and that's where you can see the trends, get notifications about what's going on, and a lot more. The actual device itself is quite small, but it's beautifully made with a wood exterior case and some very clever LEDs on the front. At a glance, you get to see your Airware score, which takes into account five things. temperature humidity, CO2, the volatile organic compounds, and PM2.5, that's the fine dust that's in the air. 
It shows you the levels via rows of vertical LEDs for each of these and also a green, amber or red LED to instantly show you whether your air is good or not. The LEDs even dim and go off entirely at night as it detects ambient light and you can change this in the app so it's a nice little setting. I'm very pleased with the airware. It works perfectly, gives a great insight into the air in our home and looks terrific. So check them out, getairware.co.uk. So that's G-E-T-A-W-A-I-R. I've no relationship with them and they're not sponsoring the podcast, but I just like the product. So that wraps it up for episode 10. We made it, double digits. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your valuable time. Now, can you do me a little favor, please? If you enjoyed this episode, let somebody know. Send them a message or an email or tweet about the show. You can share this episode really easily by clicking on the share link at the top of the page in your podcast app. Or if you're listening to it online at remarkable.fm, you can also do that as well. So thank you. Also, please leave an honest review for The Remarkable Business Show on iTunes or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews are super helpful and they make a huge difference for the show's visibility and popularity and will also allow me to have more guests on as well. Last but not least, I'm starting to write more this year and have a blog over at mossy.co.uk. That's M-O-S-S-Y.co.uk. So have a look, subscribe to the RSS feed and leave a comment. It would be great to hear from you wherever you are in the world. So until next time, don't tolerate average. Life is very, very short and make every day count. The Remarkable Business Show.